audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Let me ask you a question. How should a church gathering look? I mean, each week we come together here, and uh, each week we do some things together, but does it really matter what we do in our gatherings? I mean, who decides on that? Just think, every church looks a little different. Every church that you go to looks a little different, but there are certain things that we all tend to share in common. Uh, Think about it. Some are big, some are smaller. Some are more serious, and some are more joyful. Some have facilities, and others are mobile. And although we are different, we do share in common the fact that we all gather Think about this. Uh, Some have orchestras. Others have bands. Some have choirs and some are a cappella. Some are just straight up concerts and others are more communal sing-alongs. But although we are very different, we share in common the fact that we come together and we sing. Um, Some preachers are highly entertaining. I mean, bouncing all over the stage. Some are a little more on the intellectual side, where it's just, that was a seminary lecture. It's logical. It's wonderful. Some are a bit like listening to a counselor who loves you, right? And and everywhere in between. Some are topical. Some are expository. But although we look different, we all share in common the fact that we sit under preaching. Um, Some churches take communion all the time. Others take it once a quarter, once a year. Some churches baptize in baptistries, others in lakes and others in rivers and others in pools and others even in troughs. You laugh because that's what we do. But although we all look different, we share in common the fact that we all come together and remember Jesus through communion and baptism together. So is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Is there an order that, should, that we should kind of see as we gather as the church? And are there things that are out of bounds? This idea of order as the church gathers is one of the things that was first and foremost on Paul's mind as he wrote our, our letter in 1 Corinthians. We've seen it all throughout, and, and this morning we're going to continue to examine this. And as we continue, I think a little bit of context might, might help us here this morning. This church, as is, we've seen, is about, it was young. It's about three years old. And just for some perspective, our church is a little less than three years old, but about our age. With one huge difference. I want you to imagine with me if the most mature believer among us was three years old in the faith. I want you to imagine with me that we didn't have the New Testament yet. I want you to imagine with me if none of us had any church experience whatsoever and we started a church together. More than that, I want you to imagine that the leader who started 
us is no longer with us, and now we're relying on occasional letters from him to kind of show us what to do. Welcome to the church in Corinth. Just understanding that allows me to be a little more gracious with them, doesn't it? Here in our text today, though, Paul is going to speak directly to what's happening when this church was gathering. We're going to see, um, look, we don't have like a video footage of what was happening when this church was getting together. I wish we did. I think it would be highly entertaining. But what we can gather from this letter is that it was becoming chaotic. It was um, coming off the rails just a little bit. And what we've seen throughout this letter is that as it was coming off the rails, it was hindering the witness to the gospel, and it was not building up the church. And so Paul, getting reports that this young church is coming off the rails a little bit, is now speaking to kind of bring order, you're going to hear that word a lot this morning, order back into these gatherings. And in so many cases, what Paul is doing is bringing just a little bit of common sense to their gatherings. Having said that, let's, let's pick up with me in verse 26 of chapter 14. What then, brothers, when you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Pause. Paul says, look, everything that you do when you come together, everything that you do when you come together, let all things be done for the building up. And Paul includes in this list singing a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, interpretation. Please hear me. This is not meant to be kind of an all-inclusive list of what the church should do when it gathers. And that's not Paul's point here. In fact, in other places, we see different lists. Uh, for example, where things like prayer church should be praying, right? Where things like prayer, singing of other types of song, even the Lord's Supper. Um, so hear me, when, when you get this list of hymns, lesson, revelation, tongue, interpretation, this is not an all-inclusive list. It is not intended to be. What, what Paul is saying is that everything, everything that you do when the church gathers, everything is to be done for the building up, for the edification of the church. So as we bring it into our context, let every time we sing and pray, and baptize, and preach, and give, and take communion, all of the things that we do, let it be done for the building up, everything. Let it be done for the building up, for the edification of the church. Now, Paul is going to now speak to some specific instances that were going on in this church, in this young church, and again, so much of this is common sense, and I want to give us one clarification as we move in. Uh, to this, especially if you are new with us this morning. Our time together is actually part three in our study in 1 Corinthians 14. So we've called this prophecy, tongues, and order, parts one, two, and three. And I say that for two reasons. One, I want to invite you, if um, you missed any previous messages, I want to invite you to take a listen. Uh, we here, especially if you're intrigued by some of the things that we're about to see in this text, uh, we here at Stone Oak Bible, we record all of our messages, and it's under our website, organized by text, so it's easy to find under resources. I invite you to go back and take a listen, but, but here's the second reason I want to say this. We are going to read about some big topics. 
If you're new with us, we're about to read through some big topics, specifically tongues and prophecy. We're about to read about these things. And this morning, I just want to warn you, we are going to absolutely fly through them. And if you're new with us, you might be thinking, whoa, wait a second. You skipped some big things, right? Um, And I get that. I encourage you to take a listen to the first two parts of this. Because in part one, we look specifically at prophecy In chapter 14, part two, we look specifically at tongues. I say this to tell you this, we're not skipping. So if you're new with us, we're not skipping over these things. Um, Instead, this morning, what we're trying to do is is focus on Paul's prominent point in this final section, which is order. Okay, order. So having said that, let's look at verse 27 as Paul seeks to bring some, some order. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to prophets. So Paul here, let's pause there, is, is bringing some order to chaos. And I want to say this again. This is common sense. What he's saying, everyone speak in turn. Any second grade teachers in the room would say, yeah, that's a rule in our room. (laughs) This is common sense. Everyone speak in turn. Then he says, everyone speak in intelligible words. Weigh what is said. Order. He says, what is said must be brought under the weight of the prophets. That here is a reference to the scripture they had at that time. So in other words, what is said must not contradict scripture. But weigh what is said, carefully weigh what is said for the edification of the church. Again, order, order, order. And again, it's repeated, the grand purpose. It is so all may learn and all be encouraged. In other words, for the building up, for the edification of the church. Now, this next verse is absolutely crucial. Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Hear me, this isn't a blanket statement verse. What I mean by that is any time that you are confused in life, don't run to the conclusion that God's not in this. You want some proof? Last week we looked at Genesis 11. We talked about Babel for a little bit. And what did God do in Genesis 11 in Babel? He came down and what? Confused the languages. He was very much in that. This is not a blanket statement of any time there's confusion, God's not in it, God's not in it. What this is saying is it is a specific reference to when the church gathers. When the church comes together and gathers There is no confusion, and if there is, our God is not in that. Does that make sense? 
Paul says, look, I know a lot of things are being done in your gatherings, and I know a lot of things are being done in the name of the Lord, and I know a lot of things are extremely confusing. I want you to know God's not in that. Our God is a God of peace. God gives spiritual gifts to his people, not to create division and confusion, but God gives spiritual gifts to his people to glorify God and to edify the church. All the confusion, in other words, that's being done in the name of God. Pause. God's not in that. Our God is a God of peace. Amen? Are you with me so far? Up to this point, here's what we've seen. God has an intended design for order and not for chaos. We've seen God has an intended design for the edification of the church, not for the division of the church. And we've seen our God as a God of peace and not confusion as the church comes together to call on the Lord. Up to this point, I think, I hope you're tracking with me. And with that in mind, I want us to now look at the next two verses. I want to give a warning here. What we are about to read will most likely prompt a reaction. Um, I love being a church that preaches through verse by verse by verse because we don't avoid difficult verses. We stand under the weight of Scripture. But having said that, this, will, this verse will most likely prompt a reaction in you. There will be some, many in this room who might bristle up a little bit at this. Here's what I ask you. Listen, as your pastor, let's have some patience as we walk through this. There may be some, and I actually know there are some in this room who have been hurt by the abuse and misapplication of this verse. And to you, listen, I ask for grace as we seek to walk through this together. There might be others of you who just want to call the elephant out in the room, and that is the fact that I am a male working through a very sensitive text that has often been used as a weapon by males. Trust me, as your pastor, as the one preaching this morning, I'm fully aware of that. (laughs) And for you, I also ask for extra grace, because here's what I want to do. I want to be faithful and handle God's word And I ask for extra grace as we do that together in these two verses. And as we step into this, I want to make one clarification for groundwork. Stating something that's obvious. God has a beautiful, intended design for humanity. God has a beautiful design for humanity. He has a wonderful design for both men and for women. And this design hear me, leads us to human flourishing. It leads, here's another way to say that. It is for our greatest good. His design is for our greatest good. And that order is, is, is not something that we as Christians need to hear and then shy away from and be embarrassed about. But God's design is something that we, that we trust, something that we stand under. And hear me, but having said that, I am fully aware that throughout the years as humanity marred in sin, we have struggled to live out God's perfect design. 
It started in the fall in Genesis. God, your design, no, we'll go our own way. And since then, it has just woven itself throughout human history. There is no doubt about this. And I want to call out two tendencies that will often arise as we approach a text like this. Chauvinism and feminism. Both are really different sides of the same coin. Both either will segregate or degrade or elevate one of the sexes over the other. And the problem is that in many cases, I need you to hear hear me as we lay some groundwork, in many cases, both chauvinism and feminism have been Christianized and weaponized. Let me give you some easy, easy examples for both of those cases. In cases where chauvinism has been Christianized and weaponized, there is this strange pull that we feel to go to texts that, that like this, and as I'm going to put before you here in a little bit, take them out of context, run to texts that deal with authority, male authority, submission of wives at home and in the church. We run to texts like these, and there's a pull to run to those, elevate them far above all of the other texts that call husbands to die sacrificially for their wives. Far above all the texts that call husbands to give themselves in all humility the way Christ gave himself for the church for their wives and elevating them. There's this tendency to elevate over the other and that is a distortion and church, that is an abuse. And again, trust me, I am fully aware of the harm left by this as I preach this today. Listen, what I'm about to read is uncomfortable even to read in public, let alone preach. Trust me, I'm aware of how chauvinism has been weaponized. The same side, uh, this other side of this, uh, feminism has also been Christianized and weaponized in the church, and it has led us to come to many verses that deal with submission, that deal with authority, and say, nope, no, nope, that was cultural. That had to have been cultural. It cannot mean that. Not in today's world. Not where authority has been so abused. Uh, All authority, especially male authority, that's just oppressive. It cannot mean that today. That was obviously cultural For example, we come to texts like Timothy and Titus that that deal with God's design for the office of elder in the church. And in that language, we see that it calls for male leadership and eldership. And a Christianized feminism says, "Ah, no, it cannot mean that. That is oppressive. It must have been cultural. That was then and this is now. Here's what happens. Instead of reading our culture through the lens of Scripture... We read the scripture through the lens of our culture. Both are different sides of the same coin. And that church is a dangerous and slippery slope. Hear me, I could say so much more, but God's design for human flourishing is neither chauvinistic nor is it feministic. And I encourage us all today as God's people to lay down some of our cultural lenses for a moment, some of those needs to have that gut reaction to what I'm about to read, and instead let us come together in patience and grace and work through these verses in their context. 
Having said that, let me read this for us together. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, we did it. We did it, church. We made it through. If all we had were verses 34 and 35, and that's it, that's all we had, those two verses, those two verses alone, then we would be left with so much confusion about what this text could mean. But the fact is, is that these two verses are part of a larger context, and that larger context provides us with a defense against possible abuses. So let's unpack this together. There are a few really important contextual things that I want us to consider together. First, we know that Scripture will not contradict Scripture. Let me say this again. Scripture will not contradict other Scripture. In other words, if your interpretation of a certain scripture runs you into clear conflict with another scripture, eh, stop. Something's off. Something is off with your interpretation because scripture will not contradict other scripture. And I say that because it's important to realize what this verse does not mean. This text cannot mean that women are prohibited to talk in church. I'm just stating the obvious here. This text is not a prohibition against women being involved in corporate gatherings of the church. This is not an absolute ban of silence. We see clearly all throughout Scripture. I'll just hit a few New Testament passages for us. We see several places in scripture that tell us that cannot mean, our text cannot mean that. I'll even start with our book uh, that we're in 1 Corinthians. If you turn back to the left a few pages, you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Here Paul is dealing with both men and women who are prophesying. And I'm just going to state the obvious for the sake of stating it. Prophesying implies Speaking. (laughs) And here, as you read that, he's not prohibiting it. He's not prohibiting it on behalf of the women. Instead, he encourages it to be done in order. In order. 1 Corinthians 11 assumes that all the gifts are given to all. And that these women in the church are using their God-given gifts even such gifts, such as prophecy, that involve their speaking. Like I said, common sense here. Other texts, we see godly women leadership, such as Priscilla, one of the earliest converts to Christianity in the early church, uh, seen as a prominent leader, seen as a teacher in the early church. Let's say something again that's obvious. That implies speaking. Acts 29 or 21 9. 
Luke speaks about the daughters, daughters, daughters of Philip having the gift of prophecy. Acts 2 says that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, men and women both, speaking God's message to God's people. Here's the obvious reality here. Our text today cannot mean that women are prohibited to talk. It can't mean that because the whole of Scripture has too much to say against that interpretation. So then, what does it mean? Let me give one more contextual issue here that I want us to work through. The word silent is always contextual. I want you to follow with me here. The word silent is a word that always has a context. To say it in another way, it's not a total call for all speech to be shut down. In fact, you already know this. If you notice when we were reading earlier in our text, we used this word silence two times. Paul's already used it. And neither case implies absolute ban on speaking. Let's look at verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent, same word, in the church and speak to himself and to God. Does that mean that they're never allowed to speak publicly? Does that mean that they're not allowed to sing with the church? Does that mean they're not allowed to pray? Does that mean they're not allowed to fellowship? In this context, does that mean they're not allowed to prophesy? Of course not. We understand that this command to be silent is a command to shut your mouth in a specific situation. We, we, we see this. If there's no one there to interpret, Paul says, shh, shh, silent. It's not a silence for all forever. It's a specific silence for a specific time and situation. And guess what? He uses it again. Uh, two verses later, we'll see it again in verse 30. If revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be shh, silent. Same word, same thing here. This is not a, a prohibition to speak and to be mute forever in the church gathering. No, this is a command to, again, when someone else is talking, shh, silence. Here's what I'm getting at. You, we understand that. When we read this text, you probably didn't think anything of those words, silence. You probably didn't think anything about them. Probably didn't even stand out to you. But wow, when we get to the verses that we just read, all of a sudden we feel this strange desire to think that this silence means absolute silence. No talking. Ever mute. Here's my argument. We would be much better served if we were to follow Paul's argument in this text. Because here's what I want to ask when are we to be silent? Follow with me on this through this section. I want you to see something. When should we be silent? Well, it starts in verse 27 and 28. When we have tongues and no interpreter, shh. Second, verses 29 through 30, when we have multiple people getting up with prophecy and revelation, shh, one at a time, one at a time. And third, when someone prophesies 
and you're weighing out what has been, has been said, you're questioning what was said, Paul says, women in the church, don't publicly issue judgments on what is said. Instead, stay quiet. Verses 31 through 35. In all three of these instances, the silence is not absolute. It is directly tied to a specific situation. Now, as I, as I just walked through that logic, though, there are two really important questions that we, need to, that we need to pick apart. Some of you might even have them floating in your mind right now. There's two really important questions. If the silence here is tied to women publicly evaluating prophecies, which I'm making the argument it is, there are two questions that we need to wrestle with. One, why would women be allowed to prophesy but not to evaluate prophecy? That just seems weird. Why would women be allowed to prophesy in the church? But then Paul turns around and said, no, you're not allowed to evaluate it. Why? Well, we need to understand what prophecy is in the church. Remember, we defined it as God's people speaking God's message to God's people for God's glory for the edification of the church. We've seen that this is a gift that we've seen all throughout Scripture is in, in all throughout church history, might I add, is never tied to a specific gender or a specific personality type. In fact, this is why Paul so strongly encourages the church, hey, weigh what is said. Weigh what is said. Test what is said. Weigh it with Scripture. And he even warns false prophets are going to rise up. You need to weigh that. You need to take this seriously. This is prophecy in the church. On the other side of this, the evaluation of prophecy is something else entirely. See, the, the evaluation of prophecy assumes a certain level of spiritual authority in the gathering. This is how Paul, both at the same time, encourages women to operate in their gifts and to prophesy in the church. Uh, example being chapter 11, example being his life and ministry with Priscilla. And at the same time, say what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I do not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, here's our word again, she is to remain quiet. How can he say both things? How can these things both be true? How can they prophesy and encourage to prophesy, but then at the same time, they're to remain quiet? It's because Paul here is directly referring to the public questioning and evaluation of prophecies in the church gathering. Again, I need, we need to understand, order is the main point of this text. We come from a completely different culture than the Corinthians do. But the underlying call for order remains. So the question is, why would women be allowed to prophesy but not to evaluate prophecy? It's because of the public evaluation of prophecy and that it assumes a certain level of spiritual authority. And in the church gathering, that level of spiritual authority has been given to men. And I'm going to make the argument here in a bit, not just to any men. But the men who fulfill the qualifications and functions of biblical elders. But I won't get ahead of myself. This drives us to another huge question 
And that is this. This is so simple. Why would this last command be given to women only? I mean, think about it. Why? Everything else that was said was given to both, and then this one is given to women. Why would this last command be given only to women? And to answer this, I want to tell you first why it is given to women only. And at the same time, I want to then turn around and tell you why it is not given to women only. First, let's talk about why it is given to women only. There is a principle that is really important to understand that we see rise up in Scripture. It's called the principle of subsidiarity. Probably not a word you use in your normal vocabulary often. I'm going to put it up on the screen. But subsidiarity is this organizing principles that matters ought to be handled by the smallest and lowest and least centralized competent authority. That's how that's defined. I'll leave it up there so you can chew on that. Um, And while you're chewing, let me give you an example of it, how it works out in real life. Uh, We see this a lot in in government. And I don't want to get into politics because this sermon is controversial enough. (laughs) All right. Um, However, no no matter where you're leading, there is a, um, there is a, a belief that we see in politics often, and it's the belief that an increased health and stability in the smallest levels of society will then create stability and health for the bigger units of society. In other words, if we bring it in our context, healthy families will make healthy communities, and healthy communities will make a healthy nation. Right, that's the principle of subsidiarity. Um, and by the way, not the other way around. That it goes from the small unit to the big. Small level of authority first before the big. This is subsidiarity. And this is a principle that we see all throughout Scripture in God's grand design. And again, we get a glimpse of it here in our text. Wives are told, follow with me. Wives are told, instead of publicly questioning things out loud in the church gathering. First, wife, take it to your husband. Why? Why? Is this, is this oppression? Is this heavy-handed? No. This is simply a call to healthy order in the community in the church. It strengthens the families, and by strengthening the family, the church family is then strengthened and brought into health. This is subsidiarity. And hear me, This is God's beautiful design for his people and his church. This is God's revealed order. This is why Paul uses the word shameful. If you notice that word in our text, it's shameful. Not necessarily to the church, because what the woman said in Corinth could have been spot on. Like, that was heresy. She could just, it could be spot on. But it skips over some of the God-given authority that God has placed in the church for his order, for his beautiful design. It skips over some of God's given design. And therefore, it brings shame to the smaller unit, the husband, to the family. Does that make sense? We see the very similar argument and concerns in chapter 11 because, again, Paul is driving to order. He's driving to order. 
Now listen, um, I want to shift a little bit and tell you why this is also not just to women here, specifically at Stone Oak Bible Church. The heart of this is order, and I want you to say it with me. Order. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. I'm not sure if you know this. I hope you know this. But here at Stone Oak Bible Church, we discourage an open public forum questioning of prophecy. This should be obvious. We discourage this regardless of your gender. What we mean by that is if I'm saying something or someone else who's preaching God's word is up here and they say something that you are like, what? And you're disagreeing or you're questioning or you're wondering what to do with it. Listen, please don't stand up, come up here and use that mic to air your public questions. Why? Why? It's not because we want to be oppressive. It's because that is chaos. That is craziness. This is why we don't have open mic nights at Stone Oak Bible Church. It's not because we want to be oppressive. It's because it's common sense. Men, women, boys, girls, that would be chaos. That would be chaos. I'll I'll say it like this. Men, I want to talk to you because I've dealt a lot with women. Listen to this. Men, as you sit here and you hear God's word preached, do as the scripture says and weigh what you hear with scripture. And if you hear something that you're questioning or you disagree with, go to the spiritual authority in your life so that the church might be built up. It is about handling things in the right order for the good of the church. Women, As you sit in this room and you hear the word of God preached, do what the word tells you and weigh out, test what has been said. And if you're questioning and you you have concerns or you disagree, go to the spiritual authority in your life so that the church might be built up. Let's extend this out. Children, boys and girls, as you hear things said and you're questioning And you have questions, you disagree, or you're confused, hear me. Weigh what you hear with Scripture, and then go to the spiritual authority in your life so that the church may be built up. Now, I would love, certainly, to talk to children about their questions and concern, but you know what I would much prefer? And what is much more aligned with what the Scripture lays out for the church is that your kids go to the parents Why? Because it's God's revealed and designed order. And when that happens in a healthy way, we function as a healthy church. Order. The heart of this is order. And we know that God's order gives us the greatest chance of human flourishing. And specifically, it guards us against abuses. So Paul here is speaking directly to abuses in this church And his heart for us is order. And here's the big message of the whole text that we just read. Order, then order, and order, so that the church may be built up. So when you have tongues and no interpreter, shh, because that works against order. Does not build up. When you have multiple people getting up and speaking, shh, one at a time, because that chaos works against church order. 
and it does not build up. When someone prophesies and the church is weighing what is said, questioning what is said, Paul gives seatbelts for the sake of order, and he says, ladies, don't grab the open mic. And I just want to add to this here at Stone Oak Bible, men, you don't either. Instead, shh, let us all instead, this is huge, listen, let us all instead go to the spiritual authority that God has placed us in. Let us all go to the spiritual authority that God has placed us in because, again, this is his design. This is the greatest human flourishing. This is for our greatest good. In other, church, in other words, church, don't you dare read this text and say, well, women aren't allowed to speak. I will find you. Because we have a whole host of scriptures that just tear that interpretation apart. This is order for the sake of the gospel. God's word reminds us that although authority has been abused and misused, it is not a dirty word for God's people. It is a blessing for God's people. Something we stand in. Because God's design for authority is something beautiful and healthy, and it's a wonderful gift for human flourishing. Now, as we close this chapter, I want to read a beautifully written quote. This actually comes from a woman in our church who will remain nameless. But wow, I believe this is going to edify us today. Listen to this, and I quote, I will say as a woman, the tendency for me when reading these specific verses is to become defensive, mostly because these verses can be used to fuel a long-standing abuse of male authority both in and out of the church. Out of context, these verses seem oppressive, and it can be frustrating. However, it is not Paul's letters or Christianity or the gospel that is oppressive to women. It is sin. It is the fallen human tendency to take what is meant for good, in this case, male leadership, and abuse its purpose and design. Listen to this. However, no one in all of human history has done more for women, women's rights, than Jesus himself. He invested in the lives of women. He taught them, allowed them to follow him, initiated conversations with them, all things that were completely unheard of at that time. Women were the last at the cross and the first at the empty tomb. Not only did Jesus first appear to women after his resurrection, but he instructed them to tell the other disciples. In a time when a woman's testimony was useless, Jesus chose women to be the first to testify to the greatest moment in all of history. Listen to this. I think when approaching a text like this, it can be valuable to step back, look at scripture as a whole, and take a deep breath before diving in. Whew. That right there is beautiful. So let's take a breath, consider the full weight of scripture, and let's finish our text. Our text ends, verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Um, or are you the only ones that has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Here he's validating his authority. 
If anyone doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized. In other words, Paul is saying, this is from the Lord, not my ramblings. This is what God has said, and it is for our good. This is God's word. And then he concludes with a summary statement, and I want us to end here. Verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Listen to verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. Church, let all that we do at Stone Oak Bible Church be done decently and in order for the glory of God and for the building up of his church. Let's pray together. God, we, uh, we thank you for our time together, specifically in this text. We pray that you would help us as we leave here to apply it. I pray that you would build us up through your word, like your word promises to do. I thank you for what you're doing, what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.